Time once again for Second Helping, the number one choice where podcasts are concerned of fans and followers of the number one league in all of collegiate football. That league, of course, the Southeastern Conference. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com, part of the 247sports.com network, joined by my great friend, co-host, Brent Beard, college football analyst for First Coast News in Jacksonville, Florida, also a longtime voter for the most prestigious individual honor in all of collegiate athletics, that, of course, the Heisman Trophy. Brent, you're ready to get into a little bit of a Week 8 preview, not as... Not as heavy right, of right. A, a preview as we've had maybe in some previous weeks. Got some teams headed into some bye weeks. Right, absolutely. And uh, a couple of those in Florida and Georgia, or Georgia and Florida, depending on who you root for, uh, will be teaming it it's up. It's always the, the team that won the game the previous year <laughs> is the team you mentioned first. Pops yeah, taught me yeah. that years ago. So well, I guess it's Florida going into this game. Right. It, uh, we're expecting it to probably be Georgia. Yes. coming out of the game yeah I, I think that's very true so uh so uh, yes absolutely some teams with a week off and they probably need it for our listeners um there there will be fewer games this week and also for next week so uh travis kind of that maybe it's a little bit more past the midpoint of the season when teams start to take off and, and look th- this is a debate uh, for for another time, but I, I do hope one day that teams will have multiple bye weeks in a season. I I, I think that would help uh, with injuries. I think it would help with fans traveling and so forth. I, I hope that day's coming. Yeah, if we get into a scenario where we're talking nine or ten league games yeah. in the Southeastern Conference, you're going to need it, man. Absolutely. Um, a couple of years ago, we had the multiple bye we weeks. Did. And I thought it was a good thing. I agree. So we'll see how that sort of comes together potentially moving forward. But a lot of the action this week, as we know, Brent, in that 3.30 Eastern mm-hmm. and later windows, the primetime windows with a couple of matchups. You've got the late afternoon window with a couple of matchups. You do have a noon Eastern kickoff in Fayetteville, Arkansas, as the Razorbacks in desperate need of a slump buster. And I think they're going to get it in the form of an FCS opponent in Arkansas Pine Bluff that is losers of five in a row coming in here. Yeah, that's just kind of what the doctor ordered for uh, Arkansas at this point. I mean, that's basically like a off week, which ironically, Trav, they have an off week next week. So they've kind of got two in a row before they before they finish oh, Mississippi State, LSU, Alabama, and Missouri. Uh, and, and listen, I, I think part of the uh, challenge for Sam Pittman is – uh, are they beginning to build depth trail to where they don't virtually collapse in November underneath the weight of the season and under the weight of injuries? So hopefully KJ Jefferson, Traylon Burks, those guys will, and the Traylon Smith will stay healthy with that. As we mentioned uh, on our previous podcast, Jalen Catalan, uh, shoulder surgery out for the year, Markel Utzi was hurt but should be back uh, for uh, in a couple of weeks. Ladarius Bishop had a hamstring injury. Uh, and in that Auburn game, again, we give Auburn credit, but Arkansas did not have three defensive starters in that game, and Travis showed, didn't it? It did, and this is exactly what the doctor ordered for Arkansas because we talk about 
does this program, does this team have the requisite depth needed to navigate a full season, especially one in which you're talking about eight SEC opponents? If there's some good news for Arkansas as it looks ahead towards November, it may be that most of the heavy lifting has been done. That's not to say LSU is a sure win. Uh, Certainly Alabama is anything but that. But when you talk about Mississippi State and Missouri in the month of November, three of the final four as they head down the stretch, the Razorbacks, those are winnable games. And especially if you're coming off what you outlined as sort of a double bye week with an FCS opponent this week, the bye week next week. This is a team, get to five wins this week, and then really position yourself for a quality, quality bowl opportunity. Uh, from what you're outlining there, Trav, conservatively, that that's seven and five. Uh, how excited would they be about that, particularly when they were thinking where they were in the beginning of the season? No doubt. That, the very real potential for eight and four uh, to win three out of four in the month of November. You don't like seeing a team like Alabama late in November if you're Arkansas at this point and you're the rebuild under Sam Pittman. But again, otherwise, Mississippi State, you're coming off the bye week. LSU, we know what that roster looks like right now. And then you finish the regular season with Missouri. So real opportunity, I think, for this team. Whereas the middle of the schedule has been extremely difficult and rough on Arkansas with the road trips and you know coming home and dropping the game to Auburn, a chance to rebound. And I think Sam Pittman's wired in a way in which he can help his team psychologically do just that. Also on Saturday, in that 3.30 Eastern slot on CBS, it's the, hey, we both fired Ed Orgeron Bolt in Oxford, <laughs> Mississippi. How about Ed O? One week after he is uh, dismissed, essentially, deferred dismissal, I guess you yeah, could call yeah. it, from LSU, he goes back to Oxford his very next game, Brent. <laughs> well, uh, that and, and listen, uh, the the amazing thing is you've got Ed O coming in and Trev in just in just a few weeks, Hugh Freeze comes back to Oxford yeah. for Liberty. So, the, and listen, on top of all that, they're retiring Eli's jersey on Saturday too, Trav. How about that? There's <laughs> a lot to digest. Yes, uh, on Saturday, no doubt about that. I, I'm thinking Arch Manning, the five star quarterback. For the uh, 2023 cycle might be in attendance, especially if Uncle yes. Eli is having his yes. jersey retired. So, wow, a lot coming together for this one. On the field, there's been questions this week about the availability for Matt Corral, the Ole Miss quarterback. I guess we could maybe act surprised, Brent, but <laughs> considering he ran the ball 30 times yeah. against yeah. Tennessee last Saturday night, maybe – Maybe not all that shocking to learn. No, no. I, I mean, that's just amazing when you think about that. Ran it 30 times and nearly gained 200 yards. I mean, that's amazing to think about what he's done. And, and, and Trav, I'll be honest with you, as a Heisman voter, uh, I mean, he's he is among the top for my list. Uh, the the way the way he's played this year, I think yeah. he's had a I think he's had an incredible year uh, in a lot of ways. But look again, this is. This is an important game for both of these teams. I mean, LSU with uh, with four wins at this point, that that would certainly help them uh, uh, with that too. Uh, and and let me say this about LSU: 
uh, talked to, uh, uh, I'll bring this up in a minute on another subject, but talked to a former Gator player uh, about this. And this is something that you and, talk, you and I talked about the other day. He said, you know, in spite of all those starters being out, people forget they recruited real well at Baton Rouge. Uh, and he, and as he said, they sure got a lot more better players than we do at Florida. Yeah, that's what made it tough for O the last couple of seasons in those wins over Florida is that you talk about, wow, what a job the LSU staff did being down all those players. Well, the other yeah. side of that is they still had enough quality players Absolutely. to win a game like that against Florida each of the last two seasons. And for LSU, we'll be watching closely Saturday afternoon to see if Ty Davis-Price can keep it going, Brent, coming off that school record-setting performance against Florida last Saturday where essentially he ran the same play over and over and (laughs) over for nearly 300 yards in the win over the Gators and this looks to be the way you still attack this Ole Miss 3-3-5 kind of setup that they utilize under DJ Durkin you try to run the football right at that I, I wonder now look I don't know if Ole Miss has the personnel to stop basically that same play uh but uh, i i i would certainly hope durkin would have them in position and if they can't that he would find somebody on the bench that uh that very well might could stop it uh, unlike what i've heard all week from florida fans that there was no attempt to stop them last week on that play certainly nothing different but but, but look all in all i mean if these quarterbacks are healthy uh, that this game is going to be a lot of fun. Max Johnson, I think he's still having a very solid season. And uh, in, in, in at the Travis, is Johnson their MVP at the end of the year if they make a bowl game? Uh, wow. Max Johnson's been tremendous once again, as you said, but going to be a little bit different this time against the Rebels. He had Keyshawn Butte a year ago, and Butte turned in that historic. performance in Baton Rouge against the Rebels. So need a continuation of a week ago, I think, for LSU on the road. Ty Davis-Price first and foremost, and then get some of these other receivers to step forward. And also, you know, I guess the what if of this game involves what if Corral doesn't play? Is it Luke Altmyer, the true freshman behind center for Ole Miss on Saturday? Does John Rice Plumley reappear? Uh, in that mix, maybe at the quarterback position. I think a lot of that would depend on the running game. If they got Altman is is probably the guy, but at the same time, as well as they can run the ball uh, at this point with Henry Parrish uh, and Jerion Ely and those guys, if they're healthy, uh, I would think Plumlee uh, would, would frankly fit in well with that with that running attack. If they can run on LSU, and I think that's probably what would be a very interesting strategy for that as far as what, look, the great thing is, even if your quarterback can't play with Lane, he's got so many other options to try to fit the bill there. Uh, that, that would be fascinating to see. Yeah, you've had three or four other players throw passes other than Matt Corral this season. I get the sense it's going to take a lot to keep Matt Corral out of a football game. Yes. And that update from Lane Kiffin came earlier in the week. So we'll see coming up at 3.30 Eastern time on Saturday from Oxford. Elsewhere in the Southeastern Conference, 
this Saturday on a fairly light schedule, as we outlined earlier in the podcast. Mississippi State at Vanderbilt, an opportunity for the Bulldogs to get on the right side of the win column following a dismantling at the hands of Alabama last Saturday night. We talk about bowl positioning when bowl chances and things like that. This was sort of the same storyline for South Carolina, which hosted Vanderbilt last Saturday night, needed every bit of 60 minutes to take out the Commodores. Uh, Mississippi State headed to Nashville. I'm sure that fan base is anticipating a feel-good trip. Um, but Mississippi State, I don't think, is at a point where it can really discount anybody, no. especially on the road. No, absolutely not. And, and, and when you look at big picture with uh, Mississippi State, Kentucky, Arkansas, Auburn, Tennessee State, and Ole Miss, look, if, at you know, they, they at three and three. And three and, wins right now. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I mean, they, uh, uh, that may be a little bit dicey, but if they could get to a bowl themselves, that would mean a lot. Will Rogers continue to do good work? My goodness, 35 of 55 for 300. That, uh, uh, Trev, I, and again, he, uh, Leach does what Leach does, but uh, it, it would it would behoove him the rest of the year to try to do something to work on a little bit of a running game. I, I know their passing game, the short passing game, is literally their running game. But if they could develop a guy, uh, wouldn't that be a worthy goal by the time of November comes around? If they could kind of find a bell cow before then uh, to kind of complement that 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 short passing game, I think that would help them tremendously. I don't think there's any doubt about that. That's just not what Mike Leach does in that offense, no matter where he's been, whether it's been Texas Tech, Washington State, now at Mississippi State. Most years, you're going to see the backs have more catches than carries, uh, which is still a little bit interesting to look at. But no, I think for Will Rogers, it's very important to get back on track. He had the tough performance against Alabama last Saturday night with the three interceptions. And you also wonder, seems like we say this with just about every one of these games at this point in the season, his health had the shoulder injury against Alabama, gutted it out for the final three quarters. Uh, And also the quarterback situation at Vanderbilt, interesting to keep an eye on. I thought they got improved play at that position last week at South Carolina. So how they continue to move forward, Clark Lee trying to implement culture and Winning games like last Saturday that got away from the Commodores in the final minute at South Carolina. I'm sure this is one of those that Vandy looks at and says, we can win this game, especially in Nashville. But uh, right now, tough to tough to go with that Vanderbilt offense. I think Zach Arnett's defense, probably the difference more so than anything else yes. in this game for Mississippi State, Brent. Yeah, I, I, and I would agree. And the quarterback Travis is talking about uh, it, it. A lot of people had to look him up this week. Mike Wright, uh, it, the the numbers weren't great, eleven to twenty one, but he threw for two oh six. Yards uh, per attempt was pretty good. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and Rocco Griffin, uh, I think, is a guy they're trying to um, uh, to stabilize a little bit. Look for for Clark Lee. Good point. Uh, it, it, I think the thing with Vanderbilt is they've had fewer of those Georgia routes that that was over in the first quarter. And, and to me, they're making some progress, uh, even if they're losing games of the last minute. And Trav, at least they're in the game in the fourth quarter. 
They are, which as the season gets later, that's what you worry about with Vanderbilt. It's yes. ability to sustain over four quarters as a limited roster takes those inevitable bumps, bruises, injuries that really goes a long way in thinning the herd in Southeastern Conference play. Let's talk some Alabama and Tennessee the fourth Saturday in October. The Crimson Tide looking to make it 15 in a row over the Tennessee balls. It's still, just when you say that out loud, it seems unimaginable, but that's the situation that Josh Heupel walks into in his first meeting with the Crimson Tide as Tennessee head coach. And I think to Heupel's credit, all things considered with a roster that was certainly turned over in the offseason, uh, you talk about the two inside linebackers from last year. Henry Toa is playing for Alabama okay. Saturday night. The other, Quintavious Crouch, he's at Michigan State. But all those things taken into account, Tennessee's done some good things. Had opportunities to win the game against Ole Miss certainly late last Saturday night. Really, throughout the fourth quarter of that game, had some opportunities. But with it comes questions about the health of this Tennessee team. Brent, it's not just limited to Hendon Hooker either. No, it's not. And as far as Hooker, um, Josh Heupel is very coy about this. Uh, so, and look, certainly he wants Hooker to be able to play. And he had a great game, 233 passing, 108 running the ball. He makes a real difference with them. But, but goodness, uh, when they carried him off, Saturday night, he cannot put weight on that leg, which looked very difficult. And look, as important as that is Tylen Evans uh, is the health in that situation. So, But that was a great game. I know the, the unruly fans took a lot of the attention away from how much of a game that was, uh, which was really tremendous. The problem they've got now is Joe Milton has been so incredibly inconsistent. He overthrows uh, wide open receivers. He made the goof at the end of the game by running out of bounds instead of throwing it in the uh, in the end zone. They had a lot of mistakes, as you mentioned the other day. Billis Jones uh, punt that that really sent him in kind of a spiral early, uh, early in that game. But I'll say this: um, uh, the I, I give Hypo a lot of credit. He's given them some identity. Uh, on offense, and, and, and Trav, as, as long as you and I have been following this, uh, I, it, it it still amazes me how we go in cycles with this stuff. Is how how much defense uh, ruled this league for so many years, and now we talk about uh, selling tickets and and getting your team in order and, and having it look good offensively. That is humongous for for fans who buy tickets. Can't overstate the importance of Hendon Hooker being able to play Saturday night. Because, Absolutely. as you said, between Hooker and Joe Milton, you're talking about a 20% drop in completion yeah. percentage, first and foremost. And when you just look at SEC play, you look at the four games uh, for Hendon Hooker, he's completed 68% of his passes in those games for 904 yards at 9.9 yards per pass attempt, nine touchdown passes. No interceptions. He's also rushed for nearly 300 yards in those games and three scores. So, Hendon Hooker, you got Tyon Evans, the leading rusher for the balls, out with an ankle injury last week for Ole Miss. So, Jabari Small pretty much had to carry the entire load, or at least most of it, in that game. 92 yards on 22 carries. But Evans and Hooker 
for a team that in SEC plays rushing for right around an impressive 270 yards per game, they make up nearly 180 of those rushing yards per game. And that's before we talk about Cade Mays, the right tackle for the balls. Tennessee's best offensive lineman yes. had to leave on the opening series at the end of the opening series of the Ole Miss game. He was out for the remainder of the game. So couple of things in play here with this Tennessee offense as we look to Saturday night. Uh, absolutely. And before we forget, um, one thing that is overlooked with uh, that that Vol offense is how well the defense can play at times. Mm-hmm. And look, they're, they're not, that's not a great unit, but in the second half uh, of that Ole Miss game, um, uh, they played fairly well. Uh, frankly, uh, now uh, Ole Miss went up and down the field, but they really didn't give up a pass play of 20 yards and they or more. They got a turnover. So uh, it, it, some uh, as good as the offense has been, that they've, they've kind of inched along, can we say, Trav, as far as that defense is concerned. Yeah, I like the back end of that Tennessee defense. Um, you know, maybe more so when you talk about Jalen McCullough at safety. Yes. Uh, but Elante Taylor – at corner is a quality player. I know he's been dinged up a little bit. Uh, and I like the inside linebackers. You know, we talk about Crouch and Toa Toa moving on, but look, James Banks and Aaron Beasley have been really, really solid. And in Banks, you're talking about a guy right now who is second in the SEC to Will Anderson in tackles for loss. So they're good in some areas defensively that would make sense that they would see and perform well against Ole Miss. And also they benefit from the fact that Tennessee offensively loves to go mock speed, yes. like to go as yeah. fast as Ole Miss does. So from a preparation standpoint, it probably wasn't a shock to the system all that much. And, you know, that may be helpful to Alabama even this week, Brent, having seen Ole Miss just a couple weeks ago. Tennessee's going to present a lot of the same things in terms of tempo and even schematically to an extent where the run game is concerned. So this is an Alabama defense that will look to put another consistent four-quarter performance up on the board for head coach Nick Saban. Uh, and, and the difference in here, uh, as you chronicle a minute ago, if, if Hooker's accurate. He can hit these wide-open receivers. Milton can't do that. So, frankly, even a, a, even some kind of a, uh, a problem in the Alabama secondary, that doesn't mean that Milton is going to, is going to be able to hit them. But, I, Trev, I will be curious, will, will that Alabama pressure continue the, well it, the way it did against Mississippi State? That there were a lot of uh, issues against A&M that they cleaned up. Uh, certainly a different philosophy inside the 10-yard line to run the ball instead of being throwing it for all three plays. And certainly, as you've chronicled this week, Bama dealing with their own injuries, DeMarco Hellams, uh, Brian Young, Drew Sanders, uh, all those guys still trying to get back uh, to playing shape, uh, still up in the air where someone would be back for this weekend. Yeah, Nick Saban on Wednesday essentially ruled Drew Sanders out for another week, said that he thought with the bye week coming up, good chance you could see Drew Sanders ready at outside linebacker for Alabama when LSU heads to Tuscaloosa that first Saturday in November. 
Byron Young, when you talk about defensive linemen, he leads the way as far as tackles for loss are concerned. So he's been a bit of a playmaker in that spot. And DeMarco Ellums, we saw actually Daniel Wright start at that safety spot opposite Jordan Battle last Saturday night in Starkville. So absolutely, the Crimson Tide dealing with some injuries of its own. Offensively, though, you wonder about the identity of this team. That was a storyline this week for Alabama and Nick Saban. Bryce Young continues to be very, very good, Brent. Averaging 9.3 per attempt. He's over 2,000 passing yards now through seven games. 24 touchdowns, just three interceptions. State, as we anticipated, brought the heat last Saturday night. And Young responded by, by throwing touchdown passes. Each of his four touchdown passes came against pressure. Brian Robinson, obviously, very much a staple at the running back position. And not just running the ball. But here of late, we've seen Brian Robinson, the receiver, kind of step forward, a la Najee Harris from a year or two ago. Uh, and Trav, talk about Rodell Williams a little bit, uh, and and Trey Sanders. I, I thought both those guys certainly had an impact uh, in the game. And, and look, maybe it's because I, I have a lot of empathy because of his car wreck, but I still say Trey Sanders is kind of a guy who can give you a tough three yards if you need it, but he can also break out of there and make some hay. So uh, I think it's going to be important to continue to play both of those guys. Yeah, I think Trey Sanders of the three, the more instinctive back, you know, he can see it. He has good vision. He does. Great cutting ability in the hole, uh, presses the hole nicely before making a decision on what he's going to do with the football. But I don't think he's at a point where he can do everything they need from that position, pass protection, things like that for a high number of reps. You know, I don't think he's to the point of, uh, in his return where he's 20 carries so uh, per game. So it, it's exciting to think what he could add more and more in the future. But right now, Brian Robinson, Roydell Williams, uh, doing a pretty nice job mm-hmm. with Jace McClellan out, as you mentioned, for the remainder of the season. This game, though, Saturday night, is going to be more about who's available, really, for both yeah. teams, but especially really? Tennessee, because you're talking about the quarterback position, the leading rusher, uh, and Evans, and then Cade Mays at that right tackle position. Also on Saturday night, you got South Carolina making the trip to Texas A&M. Quarterback injuries. Part of the storyline here is South Carolina will be going back to Zeb Nolan following a re-injury to the foot of Luke Doty. South Carolina got a much-needed win last Saturday night over Vanderbilt. Texas A&M showed some pretty good maturity i guess you could say brent and taking care of business against an undermanned especially on defense missouri team so you you consider some potential down the road scenarios where the college football playoff is concerned and if you're alabama you want texas a&m to keep winning right you you want a&m to sort of sort of legitimize that win over Alabama, especially after the two earlier losses and, you know, keep trucking down the stretch here. Um, although if you're Alabama, that, that kind of takes away the, the room you have to work with in the Western division, uh, Auburn, likewise, mm-hmm. if you're, you're Alabama, you'd like to see Ole Miss continue yes. to win. So, um, 
Oh, this is a game that you certainly expect Texas A&M, though, to take care of business. Uh, oh, yeah. And uh, they may put up a uh, statue of Zeb Nolan, Trav, at the end of the year by the caboose, uh, the, the way he has uh, at least come in and, and given them a lot of effort. Um, uh, Kevin Harris, again, has been really disappointing for them. I, I think they thought that, that that he would do a lot more than he has. But, again, that South Carolina with four wins, and they won't win this game, but you still got to look at, at kind of where they can go for a bowl game uh, on A&M. Calzada, the numbers last week weren't great, but he's still learning. And you called this about two weeks ago. They've got to lean on Spiller, don't they, Travis? Uh, Isaiah Spiller in that Missouri game, who you and I could run over Missouri, but Spiller had 168 yards in that game. But still, the the one of the probably the biggest thing of the week, and because of his own behavior, he's never going to escape this easy, Travis. Jimbo been asked by that LSU job on a repeated basis and given his typical answer for that. <laughs> a lot of talk about coaches both present and past in the Southeastern Conference this week. Talk about Tennessee, the Jeremy Pruitt situation up there in Knoxville. Hey, here's a little bit of advice, UT. Pay the guy his money. How about that? Just pay the guy his money. I know you've got a backlog. I know you've got a backlog right now of buyouts across multiple sports. I get all that, but just pay the guy his money. You know, that's all you got to do. You weren't happy with him. He didn't do a good enough job. Um, Look, you tried to turn this into sort of a self-imposed NCAA situation. I'm not sure the intellect involved in that, right, but right. just yes. write the guy's check. You know, that's basically what the Pruitt side of this is saying, and uh, we'll see. Well, it could get very, very ugly, according to Jeremy's Jeremy's attorney, who yes. uh, not so veiled offered up some threats where maybe some other programs at Tennessee were concerned with the NCAA. Well, if you don't settle, Tram, that means there could be further digging, correct? Well, Uh, yeah. I mean, you end up in court or in a trial, uh, you get discovery into play on some certain situations, right? Yes, yes. I'm no Perry Mason, but I know a few things. (laughs) Well, uh, hey, Trump, is it safe to say in this league that we love and adore that if there was some deep digging, uh, that there would be a lot of things that came out that probably shouldn't see the light of day? I think there's a a law firm out there that could just represent Tennessee football. (laughs) I mean, it's always lawyers with Tennessee football, it seems like. Can't get away from it. Can't get away from it. Yeah. No. Oh, but as far as uh, Texas A&M wrapping up with South Carolina, yeah, I would think when you've got Isaiah Spiller, Devon, A-Chain, both those guys averaging 6.3 per carry or better, uh, that would be a, a continuation of that. And then and find Anaya Smith and Jalen Weidermeyer in the passing game as needed. Brent, anything else before we get out of here before a week eight weekend? Uh it, it, one thing that that we'll get on this later, but the uh, and you and I have done recruiting for years. You used to do a magazine, and to me, the proposal to do away with standardized test scores. A lot of people haven't heard this, and I'll make this real brief. But there's a test score task force that is recommended that initial eligibility standards for high school students 
preparing to play in Division One or Two no longer include a standardized test score requirement. And we all remember Prop 48. We remember JUCO and so forth. Uh, Trav, have we almost come full circle in this situation, maybe? I think we're going to get to a point where most universities don't require standardized test scores for admission of any kind. Yeah. Because yeah, I think we're going to get to a point where more and more young people view college as a non-necessity. Yeah, yeah. And they go either straight into the workforce or they go more towards trades that are out there that True. certainly need people to fill those spots. I think that's where we're going to get. I think we're going to start seeing enrollment at universities drop is what I think. Because I don't think the, the value is going to add up. Not when – we're in a stretch right now where we can't find enough people to work as it is. Absolutely. So if you're a young person coming out of high school, I don't know if there's ever been a better time to just jump straight into the workforce because, you know, jobs that even used to pay eight, $9 an hour now are offering up, you know, 16 to $20 an hour because there's simply not enough people to work. Kind of a, kind of an off the, the path little rant there, just something that struck me, Brent. Sorry about but that. I, but I think to your point, uh, Trav, the, the, the last thing you, these universities need to do uh, to go along what you're saying is make it harder for these kids to get into school. And that's why, that's why you're going to see, I think, a lot of universities and colleges drop test score requirements. Yes. Yeah. Because Absolutely. they're going to need kids to still enroll. And I don't think there's going to be as much interest in going to college and spending the money and coming out of college heavily in debt when there are opportunities straight out of high school to go ahead and make a good living and even go into, again, HIV. I mean, young people, if they asked me today and they weren't sure about what they wanted to do, I would say go learn a trade. Absolutely. Go yes. go learn HVAC. Go learn a, a, you know, how to be an electrician. Or something like that. And after you do that, if you still think you want to go back to college, great. But I would yeah, go ahead and yeah. do that right now. Great yeah, point. No doubt about it. Well, Brent, always a lot of fun with you here on Second Helping, the number one choice where podcasts are concerned for fans and followers of the number one league in the Southeastern Conference. Help Brent and myself out with a subscription to Second Helping. Leave us a rating and a review while you're there. We would certainly appreciate it as well. Brent, look forward to recapping all the action early next week. Uh, and, and listen, bud, if it's anything like it was last week, even with reduced games, uh, who, <laughs> who knows what happens in this league from one that week to another, right? Just never, never know. We know we'll be back next week. So for Brent Beard, Travis Ryer, thanking you once again for joining us here on Second Helping. Have a great weekend, everybody.